0: Welcome to Celebrate Poe, episode 164. You're in the Army now. The music for the opening and ending to this podcast episode is from Come Rest in This Bosom, said to be Edgar Allan Poe's favorite song. And if you have any comments or questions, please contact me at CelebratePoe at gmail.com That's C-E-L-E-B-R-A-T-E-P-O-E CelebratePoe at gmail.com Especially if you have any suggestions for areas that you'd like to learn more about. Now, before I get it back to uh, Poe's life and works, uh, two weeks ago, I mentioned a movie uh, that, uh, while I had certainly seen it twice before, uh, I saw in the movie one more time because uh, I was interested in the French composer Maurice Jarre. Uh, Mr. Jarre wrote the music for Ash Wednesday, discussed in that episode uh, two weeks ago. I checked out Lawrence of Arabia from the local library, and Lawrence of Arabia is definitely an excellent epic, a British historical drama from 1962 that still holds up. Lawrence of Arabia is a beautiful movie, the the kind of grand movie that surrounds you with its visual scope, uh, a movie that would really suffer uh, from uh, being uh, a title on Netflix or Amazon Prime. The movie starts with the lead character of T.E. Lawrence blowing on a match in an English military compound. And the match dissolves into the sun slowly rising over some sand dunes. And then the screen seems to almost pop out at you with a huge, vast scene of sand dunes that look very much like the desktop picture of a desert often used with the Mac. Uh, genuine movie magic. And my hope someday is to do a transition or appropriate effect in video that takes your breath away in a similar way. Anyway, uh, it's kind of like the scene at the beginning of 2001 A Space Odyssey, where the apes are fighting and one ape throws a bone into the air, and the bone spins around and around until it becomes a spinning capsule in the dark void of outer space. A great transition. Now, you might ask, uh, what does that have to do with Edgar Allan Poe? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, For the first time, I really started to look at Poe's works and concentrated them mainly for their structure. Whether Poe realized it or not, many of his works show a real understanding of how to compose works that are technically masterpieces of literary structure, but also imaginative compositions which were designed to bring about an effect. Now, and yes, I'm going to finally get back into a historical look uh, at Poe's years in the military, but I have to admit that much of this material here on out in this podcast is, is newer to me because I've lived in largely Virginia, you know, Charlottesville, and in Richmond. I'm more familiar with Poe's life in those places. For example, I certainly am more familiar with the experiences of the Allen family at uh, White Sulphur Springs in West Virginia, although back then it was Virginia. So some of the information uh, in future episodes uh, might be research that's more challenging to me, but certainly just as interesting and fresh. Uh, I uh, guess you could say that uh, much of this podcast has gone off on a tangent with The Pale Blue Eye on Netflix, which I personally think, and you probably know this by now, I thought The Pale Blue Eye was a huge disappointment, with the exception of the performance of Harry Melling. So at last, Celebrate Poe is back with Edgar Allan Poe in Richmond. Perhaps historically, this was a time that uh, Poe began to seriously realize that uh, there were definite doubts regarding him becoming John Allen's heir. Well, hello, Mr. Poe. Greetings, Mr. Bartley. I understand that you plan to discuss the period before I arrived at Boston in April of 1827. Yes, now now that would be the city of your birth, if I'm correct. Uh, now, uh, if you don't mind me asking, uh, do you have any other reasons that you chose Boston of all places as uh, the place for your first independent venture? Ah, yes, that is a most intriguing question. I am sure uh, a part of me was attracted uh, by Boston's reputation as a literary and publishing center. As you may know, my, my dear mother had given me a watercolor with writing on the back that asked me to love Boston as the place of my birth and she mentioned that Boston was a place where she found her best and most sympathetic friends. Uh, Perhaps a part of the reason that I chose Boston was simply impulse. Mr. Poe, I know there are rumors that you went to Europe and fought in St. Petersburg somewhere during this period. Uh, But later, writers of your life story uh, say that such journeys abroad never really happened. Yes, I must admit that such stories were a fabrication on my part. I was hoping to impress the reader of such descriptions regarding those fanciful incidents. Well, what were your feelings regarding entering the Army? You must have been very excited to be part of the junior rifleman honoring Lafayette when the uh, Frenchman visited Richmond. Oh, yes, I was most excited, like everyone was, by Lafayette's visit, but I I can look back and see that I I was not entering upon this career, I say a military career, from any sincere liking for a soldier's life. I gave my name as Edgar A. Perry, P-E-R-R-Y, born in Boston, and my age is 22. In other words, you lied about your age because the Army uh, did not accept minors and you were, therefore, underage. Actually, most scholars who have written about my life believed that minors were accepted at the time. I simply intended to disappear. Some say that the occupation given was that of a clerk. In any case, Mr. Poe, where were you assigned? I was assigned to Battery H of the 1st Artillery in Fort Independence, Boston Harbor. Uh, yes, Mr. Poe, uh, I I want to be sure that uh, I bring listeners of this podcast up to date by pointing out uh, that uh, your enlistment was interrupted by what you were to learn was your true calling, writing. Yes, and, and during this period, I published my first volume of poems. As you know, I published Tamerlane and other poems by a Bostonian. Specifically, the book was published in what was probably the early summer of 1827 by a printer, Calvin F. S. Thomas, at 70 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this, Mr. Thomas? Uh, I admit that Mr. Thomas was rather unknown at the time, but was to later have quite a career as a printer and editor. Yes, Mr. Poe, and as I understand it, uh, there were several editions, which I admit I never really understood. Could you explain the differences? Certainly, Mr. Bartley. Tamerlane, the title poem, uh, in its first form, contained 406 lines. In the edition of 1845, which represented my final reversion, Uh, It included only 234 lines. Uh, The most striking differences, however, occur between the first edition of 1827 and the second, published in 1829. There was also an 1831 version where I returned to the 1829 version for some of my changes. Now, does that clarify the situation? Uh, Mr. Poe, uh, that is about as as clear as mud. Uh, uh, Thank you, Mr. Botley, I, I guess. Mr. Poe, and I know you really enjoy talking about writing. I've always enjoyed reading Tamerlane and other poems from the first time I saw them. Uh, I know it, it doesn't have the maturity that, say, the Raven or Annabel Lee shows, but it does represent your ideas of the poetic principles and your concept of independence. Mr. Bartley, that is most kind of you to say, but could you be a little bit more specific? Certainly, Mr. Poe. With the Holy Friar in Tamerlane, you show that hope is not a gift which one soul can simply give to another. That is a most interesting observation, Mr. Botley. Mr. Poe, in my opinion, it seems to me that in Tamerlane and other poems, you began to develop the four themes that one sees throughout your verse— And to which themes are you referring? Pride, love, beauty, and death. Ah, to any student of my life, they would be natural selections. You see, I was a worshipper of beauty, and my capacity for love was unusual, some might say, but very, very deep. Yes, far deeper than most of the expressions of love we hear in the media today. I must admit my pride was intense, and my preoccupation with death was, was well, shall we say, constant. Yes, that, that's an understatement. I believe that earlier episodes of Celebrate Poe have pointed out that it is doubtful that I received the idea and description of my Tamerlane from Marlowe's Tamerlane, from Raoul's Tamerlane, Monk Lewis's drama, or the Hippodrome version of the play. Uh, By the way, if any of this seems new or unclear to any of you listening to this podcast episode, why not refer back to earlier episodes about, about Tamerlane? Uh, yes, and one might say that in Tamerlane and other poems, I displayed some of the literary traits which distinguished me from the majority of metrical artists. For example, in Visit of the Dead, there is a powerful conception of the soul, lonely so far as earthly ties are concerned but not lonely in the larger reality of death. The spirits of the dead who stood in life before thee are again in death around thee, and their will shall then o'ershadow thee. Be still. Yes, Mr. Poe, we can look back now and see how Tamerlane and other poems was a harbinger of greater things to come. But... What do you say about the impression, or non-impression, of Tamerlane at the time when it was first published? Oh, as you may know, or at least I hope you know, Tamerlane and other poems made practically no impression upon the critical or popular reader. None? Basically none. It was noticed by two magazines, but without that all-important critical comment. Tamerlane and Other Poems was listed in a three-volume anthology, Specimens of American Poetry, edited by Samuel Kettle and published in 1829. That it was listed at all was probably due to the fact that the publisher, S.G. Goodrich, was also a Bostonian. This S.G. Goodrich felt it was important to call attention to native poets, but an examination of the selections shows no poetry of the type that I had written. The poetry that was included was mainly of the reflective or narrative varieties, poetry that was very different from mine. Yes, Mr. Poe, I know that in the introduction to Tamerlane and Other Poems, uh, you say that you wrote the poems when you were 14. Whether or not you were totally accurate in that assessment is not important. Tamerlane and Other Poems is a unique work for someone so relatively young in years. In contrast, I know that Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was your senior by six years, did not publish a volume of verse until 1841. John John Greenleaf Whittier, who was two years older, did not publish a work until 1831. And the great Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who was born in 1807, did not issue Voices of the Night, his first complete volume, until 1839. Mr. Bartley, those are very astute observations. Thank you, Mr. Pope, for helping to get us back on track, discussing your military experiences and some of the masterpieces of your early writing career, a writing career that was to grow and mature. Thank you, Mr. Bartley. Uh, Well, Mr. Poe, before you leave, uh, would you favor us with uh, one of your briefer works from Tamerlane and other poems? Certainly. Would you favor us with A Visit of the Dead? Ah, Mr. Bartley, an excellent choice. Visit of the Dead. Thy soul shall find itself alone mid dark thoughts of the gray tombstone not one of all the crowd to pry into thine hour of secrecy. Be silent in that solitude which is not loneliness. For then the spirits of the dead who stood in life before thee are again in death around thee, and their will shall then o'ershadow thee. Be still, for the night, though clear, shall frown, and the stars shall look not down. From their high thrones in the heaven with light, like hope, to mortals given. But their red orbs, without beam to thy weariness, shall seem as a burning and a fever which would cling to thee for ever. Now are thoughts thou shalt not banish. Now are visions ne'er to vanish. From thy spirit shall they pass, no more like dewdrop from the grass." The breeze, the breath of God is still, and the mist upon the hill, shadowy, shadowy, yet unbroken, is a symbol and a token. How it hangs upon the trees, a mystery of mysteries. Farewell, Mr. Bartley, and farewell to all those listening to this podcast episode. Goodbye, Mr. Poe. Now, the next episode of Celebrate Poe will be about the next stage of Edgar Allan Poe's military career, a look at his military experiences in South Carolina and how they were reflected in his latter works, especially in The Gold Bug. Sources include Edgar Allan Poe, a critical biography by author Hobson Quinn, The Poe A Documentary Life of Edgar Allan Poe, and Spirits of the Dead by Edgar Allan Poe. Why not visit my podcast website at CelebratePoe.Buzzsprout.com Click on the episode you want to learn more about to see its show notes and a transcript. And again, that's CelebratePoe.Buzzsprout.com Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe.